Hi, I'm Mike. Hey, I'm Kelsey. We're into telling you stories. Sometimes funny, sometimes awkward, sometimes creepy or sad, but who knows? Every month it's different, but no matter what, you'll be asking yourself. Okay, WTF. Welcome, friends. Hey, Mike. Oh, hey. Hey, fancy seeing you here. Yeah, how'd you get here? It's been a week. It's been a week since he has risen. <laughs> With the flag? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The flag, uh, the okay WTF podcast flag. flag yeah. <laughs> that is why he um, came back after three it, days. 100%. Absolutely had to see that colorful flag. <laughs> oh, we just lost half our audience? Okay. Oh, all right. Bye. <laughs> See you later, my friends. Um, man, I'm excited for this, though. Uh, mm-hmm. This one was an interesting one, much like the last one. And I feel like this will be a theme going forward. Just some of these are so obscure or just like bizarre or just little anecdotal things that when you delve into it, or as I like to call it, fall down the hole, mm-hmm. um, when you're falling down the hole, you realize there might not actually be a ton of information. So the context is what matters most because the information is so specific. So um, mine is a highly contextualized uh, situation with an anecdote um, that sparked it. What about yours? Mine is a uh, very, it was extremely hard for me to find sources on this. Uh, So it is, interesting that ours parallel although i will say um mine does feature god um capital g the abrahamic one so anyone we lost before possibly (laughs) come on right back yeah uh, this is your sunday sermon since we're recording this on a sunday them are going to be a major player in in what i got oh my god hey Uh. (laughs) oh Interesting. Okay. So we have this religious theme going on. Um, mine is not religious, uh, but I'm sure, I mean, it's shrouded. What isn't these days shrouded mm-hmm. in religion, whether you want it to be or not. So there are aspects of it that if someone really wanted to dive in to mine from that, through that lens, you probably could. Of course. <laughs> um, well, shall I get into it then? I really wish you would. Okay. Um, well, this is episode two brought to you by OKWTF podcast. Uh, let's dive in. All right. Uh, my story today, um, I've got a bunch of resources uh, from Next Luxury, Discover Walks, which is a blog, Wired, uh, Cracked Tumblr, um, Crack.com. Not crack.com, but cracked. <laughs> a little different. .com. Yes, yeah. very different. Please don't go to crack.com. I don't know what's there. I can't vouch for it. It could be one um, of two things. Yes. Yes. Um, Twitter. Old Twitter. Safe. This came yeah. from a long time ago. It's oh. media. It's it's not so safe anymore, I think. But oh. right. but this was like old Twitter, well before the current regime. War History Online, of course, Wikipedia, Historian and Rue, a medium uh, article space, Welcome Collection, and 
bustle. So lots of random stuff here. Um, Lots of great info. I'm sorry to interrupt. uh, Yeah. I just happened to glance at uh, the last one. The the last few words (laughs) at the end. Uh, Uh, Which National Condom Day. I cannot wait. Is there a flag for that? Maybe we need to sneak some special imagery into the OKWTF flag. <laughs> mm, I'll do some research and in post okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds perfect to me. And um, it comes up here. <laughs> find it. It could be like a where's Waldo. It's a where's the condom. <laughs> or like, um, I guess, I don't know. Can you find, I'm trying to think of like a C, like contrive the condom. I don't know. Anyway. I, I will um, not check crack.com for it though. Yes, you will not find it on crack.com. I will give a trigger warning that uh, my story includes war conversations, a brief uh, conversation about suicide, toxic masculinity, and some sexual chatter. So, you know, maybe then we've just received all those God people back, but they might now be on their way out. Return in like 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, That's when Mike goes on. Uh, with his Sunday sermon. So in the meantime, (laughs) just a trigger warning for those here. What's interesting about this story is that I actually didn't choose it because of current events of today, 2023, uh, but more so based on this like idea of the hook, um, if you will. And also because I'm not so good at the logistics of history. And I just really like to kind of, again, fall down holes. It's like my doom scroll uh, where I just find really weird things on the internet and then I obsessively research it to death. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I will say that I had to relearn about what the Cold War even was (laughs) or what it entailed and then realized, oh, my God, are we in Cold War Two, or like, did it actually ever end? Um, so, you know, then I had that moment where I was like, oh, my God, I didn't really love learning about history in school. I'm not going to lie. It was just like super decontextualized for me. Um, you know, it didn't really there were lots of parallels, of course, but as a child, it was especially decontextualized for me. And um, so, you know, in honor of the importance of representation, it was also focused on super old white men. And, yeah. um, you know, despite there being just like so much more happening in history uh, that just never seemed to make it into any collective school textbooks. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Texas. The same is still, of course, true today. But I guess one of the benefits of social media is that you get to find out about rogue aspects of different historical events um, Mm. and then choose what's interesting about them or what you didn't learn about to learn more. Um, so anyway, I'm sad to say that this story is still about old white men, but it's kind of hilarious in some ways. And also partially like, here's another, you know, example of toxic masculinity, but it also a little bit about its repercussions on mental health. So, Ooh. yeah. So if you want an intense and educational information episode about the Cold War, this is not it for you. For anyone wants to hear some bizarre historical facts, please lean in. I have a social media hole for you to fall down on your own time. But let's set set the stage with what even was the Cold War. It will help you. Again, context is everything. So much like today in our current uh, global situation, it was a global conflict about a fight for power and land and government control, primarily by middle-aged white men. 
And thanks to Wikipedia, I got the condensed lowdown. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, whatever, Mr. Whatever your name was in fifth grade, but I don't remember anything you said. Um, <laughs> this war was wicked long, like 44 plus years long. And again, I'm honestly going to say that I'm not convinced that it ever ended. Mm. Uh, but if it ever truly did, we are definitely in like Cold War II. But many people refer to it as the post-World War II era, too. So it started or it was documented to have started really around March of 1947. And it maintained in uh, several different iterations of itself over those 44 years until the end of 1991. And I actually was like, I was alive and like living my best toddler life at that time. So I had no clue, not a clue. Um, So I was alive during the end of the Cold War. So were you. Yeah. Um, I remember it on the news, actually. Oh my gosh. Isn't that bizarre? I don't remember any of it. I was just like shitting my pants and eating Cheerios. So that's what privilege is. So it was a war, if you haven't gathered now, between the East and the West, uh, meaning at the helm of the East was Russia, backed by pro-communist authoritarian nations. And at the helm of the West was the U.S., backed by what we now know as, quote-unquote, pro-democratic NATO nations. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what NATO is, N-A-T-O, it's an alliance of countries across Europe and North America, also known as the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Still relevant today. So obviously as we're talking toxic masculinity, right? Power hungry people and a deep desire to be important was at the heart of this war. Similar. So many parallels. I can't even stop thinking about it. I was like obsessing about it when I was writing this. But (laughs) after World War II, US president at the time, Harry Truman, he was super pissed at Russia. Wicked pissed. Particularly in relation to like the nuclear conversation, the nuclear weapons conversation, and the way in which totalitarian regimes appeared to be on the rise. So he ultimately funded and created what was called the Truman Doctrine, which was really dedicated to disparaging communist governments. Um and and authoritarian and totalitarian natures of those governments through propaganda, et cetera. But it wasn't just that. Um, As the early stages of the war kind of had started, the subsequent formation of NATO seemed to really piss off Russia. And NATO's whole premise was really to strengthen defense against and weaken the influence of Russia, um, who in response to NATO ultimately created what was called the Warsaw Pact, Um, So there was lots of fighting, um, sketchy things, espionage, lots and lots of espionage that was super on the rise. So summing this up further, things were not good. And if I'm being honest, I really think things are still not good. It's just been bubbling below the surface. Um, Mm -hmm. And in many ways above, I I think we've seen as um, the resurgence of the same bullshit history repeating itself um, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's just wild um it's just history is repeating itself in cycles never broken it's like this sick cyclical continuum so now that we're grounded we all are on the same playing field here um (laughs) nod to fifth grade history uh that no one remembers (laughs) while it was definitely not taught about frank weisner um he was one of the first u.s cia agents and one of the founders of the cia 
really Frank's story is kind of a sad one. Um, but I'm going to try to find some light in what I learned about him, but I will preface that his life did end in tragedy. So as I mentioned before, espionage was a massive part of Cold War efforts on all sides, and they were constantly finding new and unique ways to leverage spies and intelligence and in places that one would never really consider or think that a spy would probably exist. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, so during the Cold War, one of Frank's main schemes was guerrilla warfare in European areas under Russia's control, primarily by leveraging Nazi collaborators. That plan never really seemed to pan out. But what was wild about that was that he was slated with protecting those collaborators in the U.S. for a very long time after, despite it never panning out. Seemed like there's a history, uh, some history here of Frank's plans not panning out. So this wasn't the only plot that he put forward against Russia that never really found its way. But all of the background of this story is really to set the stage with what I'm about to tell you next. And I learned all of this from a variety of sources, uh, particularly Andrew Martin's blog on Medium, Cracked. Mm-hmm. Trying to overemphasize that, not crack, crack, crackhead, crackhead, and the UK's History Channel. Okay. So during the Cold War, Frank, he was working on a plan to access intelligence information about Russia and its allies by flying over Russian controlled states to gain insight on in what was happening on the ground and deliver this messaging that essentially was like, the West is the best. Initially, the flyover was going to use weather balloons in the guise of dropping humanitarian aid, uh, like packages for civilians that had, you know, uh, anti-communist propaganda. And um, so as the plan developed, it began to actually get a bit more psychological, which I thought was fascinating. The U.S. wanted to showcase modern luxuries like cleaning supplies, uh, self-care products, toilet paper, things that were ubiquitously provided to those in the West or easily findable. Mm-hmm. Um, so really showcasing to the Russian people or to people who are supporting Russia, like the civilians, um, those under Russian control, the people fighting for them all the things they don't have access to. Here we are just tossing it out there. So all these modern luxuries um, with the hope of turning the citizens against their pro-communist and pro-authoritarian governments. So this is when good old Frank decided that basic modern luxuries like toilet paper were not going to cut it for him. The psychology had to go deeper. So he and his CIA counterparts decided that as part of this plan, to morph the citizens' perceptions of men's dick size by their Mm -hmm. political and state-supported affiliations. (laughs) Frank and friends schemed to include condoms into Mm -hmm. the weather balloons, but not just any condoms, Mm -hmm. extra large size condoms, but purposefully labeling them small and medium (laughs) alongside a made-in-the-U.S. branding (laughs) on the packaging because these men truly believe that the addition of these condoms and humanitarian aid would make the citizens on the ground and those fighting on behalf of Russia believe the West is the best because they have huge dicks due to the size of the condoms included in the packages and ultimately hope that would help them turn on their government. Oh my God. I am shook by this. Oh my God. These are people paid by the U.S. government. 
Uh, paid by the U.S. government, fighting in warfare, and I'm shook. Yeah. It really highlights the self-importance men have on their dick size. And you might just think about this as a thing that's kind of funny. And I never actually really, really believed that men cared so much about this. But I think it more so reflects on the type of men that I allow in my social sphere. So I would never allow that bullshit to enter my inner circle. But that mentality is so real to the point where people paid by the U.S. government a part of global war were thinking this was a good idea and that this actually made it into official CIA planning by these government officials. Yeah. I, I will call a, a quick Oh, and I haven't shown out. any photos. No, it's okay. I figured you were like <laughs> leading up to it. I was like, oh my God, like we haven't got any photos. It's, it's no. Yeah. I'm going through now. Here so we are. As Here's you're going Frank through Wiseman. the photos, um, <laughs> yes. I will say since we're talking about toxic masculinity um, yeah very much from an early age uh, at least i can speak from my experience yeah um, we are taught that our importance a lot of times in our partners um is dependent upon the size of yeah what lies below um so thankfully i do not fall into that trap um yeah but it is very much i think still a thing uh so it it's would so probably wild. still work this would probably still work <laughs> and there was some stuff i was reading i don't remember where it was from but someone had mentioned like this wasn't the only time that not specifically for condoms but a similar type of psychological like we're bigger we're better um was i want to say it was like winston churchill or something during like one of the world wars he was saying that they should drop large guns to show how big our guns are or like something like that and i was like oh my god this is so wild to me <laughs> yeah. i always thought like the dick thing was like a a sports thing or like i don't know like in the locker room chatter i was like i cannot believe this is an actual like thank god this wasn't ever done yeah um i would have loved to know the probably woman who put a stop to this but yeah, like, who stepped in was like maybe we should think about other ways to use our resources i don't know um but also imagine like expensing that as part of like federal uh, tax i don't know i have no idea do they even have to who knows i yeah so anyway um, and now that I'm caught up on photos, mm -hmm. the plan never moved forward. Um, thank God. Uh, how embarrassingly, like embarrassing and stupid and ridiculous. Imagine if that was in our textbooks, it would have never mm -hmm. been because uh, Texas. But honestly, it still doesn't even make it any better. Just the fact that it was ever considered is embarrassing. So as for Frank, he subsequently went on to experience a significant mental health crisis in the 1950s. Uh, ultimately resigned from his government position and then ended his life uh, in 1958 by suicide, uh, which I really think is that reminder that toxic masculinity has significant implications for everyone, uh, including men and the mental health of men, whether they are aware of it or not. So um, on this, on here too, like I, I put in some really, I was, as I was looking through um images from this time i was looking at a lot of the propaganda for joining the military all of that mm -hmm. and 
it's just, yeah. If you ever want to fall down that hole, there's some wild stuff out there. <laughs> there's just a couple of these, like, you know, how it builds men and, um, yeah. So, and then there's also, you know, his gravesite. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Um, but he was rather young uh, when he died. So, to end all of this, uh, I do want to focus on a quote from George Orwell in response to a theory from philosopher James Burnham, who wrote in Britain's Tribune paper. Well, George Orwell wrote in Britain's Tribune paper back in 1945 before the official start of the Cold War. The quote he George Orwell wrote in reference to Burnham was, quote, looking at the world as a whole. The drift for many decades has been not towards anarchy, but towards the re-imposition of slavery. James Burnham's theory has been much discussed, but few people have yet considered its ideological implications. That is, the kind of worldview, the kind of beliefs, and the social structure that would probably prevail in a state which was once, at once unconquerable and in a permanent state of, quote, Cold War with its neighbors, end quote. So a permanent state of Cold War with its neighbors, indeed, um, mm-hmm. a puffed up portrayal of which man owns more and a desire to wage war based on dick size. But at the heart of it, that's what we're dealing with. And Burnham and Orwell knew it well before any of us. And it clearly did not reach the right people in the right way. It simply became a foreshadow of what was to come and is still happening worldwide. Yep. So um that's kind of the history of the attempt to drop condoms to scare Russia and civilians about the American men dick size. But um, I thought we could take a nice little cognitive reprieve um, and just like have a chat about condoms for a second. Cause then I fell on the whole of, of what were condoms like at the beginning. So we have some really interesting, the history of condoms. So I got to wondering about if condoms in the forties and fifties, when this was happening, were pretty similar to today's or like, because I was like, man, that would be really expensive. Like, I remember that there's a lot of like sheepskin stuff. Uh, Was rubber really around in this type of way? Like, so I kind of fell down this hole and I thought, well, shit, why not share? So do you know when the first documented use of condoms occurred? I don't but i thought they had to do with like uh the bladders or intestines or something like that not far off not far okay, off okay, okay um so thanks to taryn kane at the welcome collective i know when they first were documented um 1564 by a european anatomist named fallopia yes hey like fallopian tubes <laughs> um he named those <laughs> so so yeah, on the screen, I've got like a 1700s, um, just some examples from between the 1400s and 1700s. You were right, like often made out mm-hmm. of intestines or bladders. Um, prior to that, there were some really, in- well, I'll get into it. So okay. so initially also, STIs, are, they, were pre- they were really made to prevent STIs and STDs. So uh, sexually transmitted infections and diseases. Um a, ma- a modern medical miracle. Um, however, good old church stepped in <laughs> during the 17th century because they love their propagation and freaked out about the use of condoms because of pregnancy preventative, but also 
the condoms were often used by sex workers um, Mm -hmm. and those engaging in what they deemed to be immoral activities. So, of course, they could not give one shit about the prevention of disease that was ravaging many people during that time because, surprise, the church doesn't really care about anyone. But um, so I'm going to keep moving through um, some of these images here. So we kind of move forward uh, in time a little bit. So now we're in like the... Um, 1900s, 1800s, 1900s. Uh, but back then, they're to your point made out of a lot of different types of materials. Um, some were actually made out of made out of tortoise shell or mm. oiled paper, linen, and of course animal skin. Um, I guess they would like if they were made out of like uh, linen, they would dip the linen in water first. Oh, that was so interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but it created a strong enough barrier that impacted its rather successful prevention of unwanted babies and unwanted disease. So once the 19th century rolled around, that's when vulcanized rubber began to be used. So it was definitely available at that time, which made a little bit more sense to me. So when they were like, yeah, let's just like drop these all over Russia. I was like, what is this costing the American (laughs) people for this complex? But yeah. So what I also thought was funny is during that time, until more recently, uh, they were a one-size-fits-all. So um, I thought that was kind of fascinating. Uh, But yeah, these images came from Lifestyles, which is a a condom brand, um, via Bustle. Uh, They put together this nice timeline that we'll share. But yeah, so that's kind of a dual little history there. Cold War, weird CIA plot to drop condoms, and then a little bit about a little detour into the land of condoms. So... Um, I hope you enjoyed that, that was OKWTF good. moment. <laughs> that was really good. I feel like if I was back in fifth grade, social studies, I right? would have absorbed it. I, I went to yes. a Catholic school, so I wouldn't have learned the last part uh, <laughs> of uh, of the contraceptive history. But that is very yes. interesting. I know. You might have not learned about anything but the Cold War. Um, right. Because I, yeah, it would have been amazing if in your Catholic school, though, they were like, by the way, he <laughs> was the devil and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean, there were nuns, but um, actually, yeah. it was a pretty secular education. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So maybe you would have learned about um, condom. Uh, plots <laughs> that, that might have been too far yeah that okay that's far. fair that's fair well uh thanks for falling down that hole with me yeah it was amazing i'm so glad that you enjoyed it it was a big okay wtf the second i saw it yeah totally <laughs> absolutely that's a, an indicator so what you got for me okay what i got for you is a story that I was trying, I had heard about a few years ago, I'd say maybe like five or six years ago. Mm. Um, and it is this really weird occurrence in um, Gloucester, Massachusetts. Um, and I heard it once I heard about it once and I was like, Oh, I got to find out way more about it. And I have uh, undiagnosed ADHD. So that means that it left my, uh, brain 
like right after. Um, but I did eventually remember and started trying to look up more info about it. And there really wasn't much. Um, so mm. for years, I have been trying to compile as much as I could mm. about this. Um, and it takes years place. in the making. Years yes. in the making. We're hearing this story. Years in the making. <laughs> exactly right. Um, the title of the story is mm. called Gloucester Beleaguered, and that will make Ooh. sense a little bit. Um, I was coming into this, and I I was thinking of like, uh, did you watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? When yes. You okay. Oh my god. So it was. It's very like a Midnight Society like. Uh, I come into you, I have the pouch with all the like glitter and I throw it into the <laughs> fire. But then I was like, Midnight Society, I'm in my late 30s. How about a midday society? Um, but I'll settle for Noon Time Society. Time society. <laughs> I got things to do. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll just jump into it. Uh, we're cool. going to the wonderful year. And I know you said you are not um, too much into history. You might be familiar with 1692. Um, quite a few things happened, uh, mm. especially in the North Shore of Massachusetts, uh, where my family is from. Um, you may have heard of Salem and their witch trials mm -hmm. um, that happened in 1692 into 93. Um, but if we go a little bit up the coast, um, there is a town named Gloucester, and it's right on the sea. Uh, very famous for its like fishing ports and everything like that. On this slide. Uh, the right-hand side image, uh, it is just above Newbury, um, mm. right along the coast there, uh, Wenham, Wenham, I'm not sure exactly how you want to say it, um, but Gloucester is right in there, and um, it's a very beautiful area, mm. uh, a lot of woods, a lot of ocean, uh, actually Lovecraft wrote about that area too, so that mm. That also was like years in the making of like, is this part of the reason why? Uh, like, did ah. you care about this? Uh, I wasn't able to find any of that, so I'm not including it in huh. the story. It's just pure conjecture. Uh, <laughs> Another hole uh, to fall down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, Gloucester, summer 1692, uh, a strange and eerie siege took place. Uh, the town was plagued by bizarre oh. events uh, <laughs> that seemed almost otherworldly <laughs> late one evening a man named ebenezer babson every good story needs an ebenezer um, he watched two strange men run from his house his front door into a neighboring field uh he went into his house asked his family hey what what's going on with these strangers and they're like what okay wtf what are you talking about <laughs> um so Ebenezer was like, I'm going to chase after them because that's what you do in the 1690s. Um, mm -hmm. So he found them hiding behind a log. And supposedly, according to Ebenezer, the strangers said to each other, the master of the house is now come, else we might have taken the house. And then they disappeared into a nearby swamp. Uh, what? They would, uh, this would continue uh, for about three weeks. Like strangers would, he would hear people around his house he'd go out and he'd see people like running away or he'd and, like, hear no like, one else ever saw them no one else ever saw them like Weird. knocking or like rapping on the windows huh. stuff like that checking to see if he was in hmm. um so he was like hey three weeks um this is serious 
I'm going to uh, call the local guard. Um, he thought maybe it was a prank or maybe it was um, tensions resulting from the King Philip's War, uh, which mm. happened two dec- decades earlier, which was uh, indigenous Americans, and the French and the early colonial uh, colonists. Uh, I'm not getting into that now. <laughs> but that is that is some history within some history. I'm going to go on a brief tangent about Ebenezer Babson real quick, mm. and then we'll return okay. to our story. Um, if you go to the next slide. Yeah. I got you. We got a, a fancy knife there. Uh, one of Ebenezer's descendants, Roger Babson, uh, told a story about uh, this one time how Ebenezer had saved one of his nephews from a bear attack by using himself as bait, drawing a bear into like nearby water source and killing it only with that fishing knife. Um, <laughs> he didn't have a gun or a musket at that time. Uh, <laughs> but I found out because for years... I've been like, I need to learn everything I can yeah. about the story. That's a real knife that either Ebenezer, possibly one of Ebenezer's siblings, but most people say it's Ebenezer's, um, his knife. And that now hangs. You can go see it at the Cape hmm. Ann Museum in Gloucester, Massachusetts, huh. if you're so inclined. Let's jump back to our story. Hmm. Other strange experiences were happening all over the time. Invisible men were mar- heard marching down the main street of Gloucester. In Malden, which was nearish by, um, boom of a cannon and phantom drum rolls were heard all over the place. In Plymouth, which is on the south shore of Massachusetts, people heard like running horses, like horsemen mm. galloping, uh, but no one was there. Let's go back to Gloucester. A sortie upon the demons. <laughs> this language just like adds a layer of creep to the story. I love it. <laughs> The photo tells nothing whatsoever. The men that Ebenezer had encountered for those like three weeks, um, like I said, were seen throughout the town. Uh, Babson himself supposedly brought down three of them uh, with a single shot of his musket. Um, But then he was also shot at when he, Babson, approached the men he had hit, thinking that they had, you know, died or something like that. Um, they just like jumped up from the ground and ran as if nothing had happened. Babson shot one of them again, like as they were running away and apparently just melted into thin air. <laughs> Not just it's Babson so was affected though. Uh, there was a man named Richard Dolliver who came across 11 of these men who spoke in an unknown language wearing weird clothing um, and they were muttering incantations is the only thing I can find out about what they may have been saying. Hmm. The fear in Gloucester uh, continued to grow. Uh, men from neighboring towns were called in for support. Uh, nothing seemed to work for weeks. People feared invasion or retribution from the newly named Specter Leaguers. You get it? Do you know where I got my title from? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one night. However, one of the captains was successful in shooting down one of these Spectre Leaguers uh, with a silver button what? from in his, his musket? doublet. Yeah. He turned one of his buttons. Oh, my God. He, he pushed it down into the musket, loaded wow. it. Five minutes later, <laughs> shot him down and supposedly killed one of them 
But this huh. was another one of those times where he just melted into the air. Uh, but he was gone. He didn't just like hang out and was like, what's up? Uh, he didn't like jump on his feet and like, hey, catch me again. <laughs> Strange incantation. So, before you keep going, I have one follow up question. You did yeah. say that Ebenezer at one point had been shot back at by yes. one of these men and he actually was hit. No, he was oh. missed. And one okay. of the bullets that he was shot back at was in a tree. And oh. he was able to use that as gotcha, like, gotcha. Okay. a local guard. Um, look. Okay, okay, like, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, interesting. And the okay. bullet was of a weird design. But of course, hmm. I cannot find any documentation uh, that says it, but only words. Huh. Um, so there was no prints made. There was nothing like that. So uh, later that same night that someone, that the captain shot mm. someone with a silver bullet made out of a button, uh, <laughs> a cry was heard signaling that the devil's army was once again <laughs> poised for attack. And okay. here's where God comes in. You ready? Oh, okay. Bring yeah. it. <laughs> okay. And a prayer was uttered amongst the units for their protection. But as soon as the name of God was whispered, the sounds of marching were replaced with howls before they too faded away. The leaguers were never seen again. Mm. So popular was this story um, that the <laughs> poet John Greenleaf Whittier even wrote about it. Uh, if you go to the next slide, we should see the wonderful visage of Whittier and a selection. Uh, the the uh, poem is called The Garrison of Cape Ann. I'm going to read a small selection of that. To the men who went before us, all the unseen powers seemed near, and their steadfast strength of courage stuck its roots in holy fear. Every hand forsook the musket, every head was bowed and bare, every stout knee pressed the flagstones as the captain led in prayer. Ceased thereat the mystic marching of the specters round the wall, but a sound abhorred, unearthly, smote the ears and hearts of all. Howls of rage and shrieks of anguish. Never a mortal man saw the ghostly leaguers marching round the blockhouse of Cape Ann. Creepy. Okay. The area where this all happened, the, yeah, the, the farm where uh, Ebenezer mm. uh, lived, uh, you can actually go there. Um, oh, if you head over to what is now Rockport, Massachusetts, because it was kind of all conglomerated, um, a lot of towns and cities were back in that day. Uh, there is a state park called Halibut Point State Park. Apparently, it's a very lovely place filled with hmm. tidal pools, trails, great for picnics. Oh. And, uh, on clear days, you can even see some of the uh, smaller main islands. So there's uh, no like house structure or anything standing today? Not that I'm aware of. Interesting. Um, but I am, what I'm interested in, uh, if we have any uh, Cape Ann people listening, if they've ever heard <laughs> this story, uh, because I have asked people that I know that live in Gloucester and have lived there their entire lives, and they look at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Sounds like you need to make an IRL trip to Cape Ann to do yeah. some on-the-ground interviewing, Mike. Uh, well, so this made me start thinking. And I don't know if this is going to be part of the podcast episode or not, but it would be so cool if like <laughs> we went to the places or right? we got um, submissions from audience members 
from people like yes. yeah, Sussie Ann or that's like my my cousin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my cousin. Or yeah, they found like a box of unused condoms that say medium uh, yes. and small, and they're like, "This were never used." Made in USA, they're like red, white, and blue. Oh my gosh! You know yeah, There's I mean, gotta be something in the Smithsonian like museums about there this. has to be, and just like the fact that. It wasn't that long ago. Like, I'm 100% sure he has living relatives. So, yeah, of course. They've got something. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Story. So if anyone knows about uh, these condoms or the uh, <laughs> spectral leaders, I want <laughs> yes. to hear about it. If you've been to this state park, I'm sure it's beautiful. I want to see yeah. pictures. Maybe I'll their go. house. And their uh, structure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll go for uh, walking on the Follow trail, see here. if we can find yeah. a bullet hole. Ah, see, that would be interesting. Yeah. I'd really just want to like walk around the streets of Cape Ann being like, y'all ever heard of this? Tell me about this. Your <laughs> great aunt at home, she ready for an interview? Like, <laughs> I mean, who's who's willing to talk? If you want to just wander around, Cape Ann is beautiful. Um, yeah. I highly uh, recommend it to, um, to anyone, especially like Rockport, if you enter art or anything like that. It's very, mm, very, very nice. That. Um, I'll finish yeah. my story. Oh, sorry. Yes. No, yes, no, yes, no. Yes. You're good. I, I love the tangents. Um, <laughs> happy to answer any questions. Uh, this, I get into more like a philosophical. Ooh. End. Uh, the events in Gloucester are interesting to me in that they appeared just before the height of the Salem witch trials. Um, mm. I'm thinking maybe it's representative of a wider culture of like anxiety and horror, unlike what we have today. Uh, <laughs> at the supernatural in the later part of the 17th century. These events were part of a, a weird trend um, of mm. mysterious happenings uh, that took place leading up to the uh, the witch trial. Uh, as it happens, our old friend Ebenezer comes back into the story. He uh, asked a few local girls to check on his mother, Eleanor Babson, about some spectral visions of French and indigenous American soldiers, she claims mm. to have seen. Uh, they didn't use the words indigenous Americans. I added mm -hmm. that. There. Um, uh, those local girls would go on to accuse two women in the town of Gloucester of witchcraft. Uh, all mm. told, nine women were eventually all accused of witchcraft. And uh, might I add, all women were coincidentally wealthy landowners or happened to huh. have some distant relation to women or men who had been accused elsewhere in Massachusetts of witchcraft. Mm. Uh, thankfully, unlike in the Salem witch trials, uh, none of these women went to trial as at hmm. this time, spectral evidence um, was not considered admissible in any courts. Hmm. Um, so I submit that to the midday society <laughs> I I mean when I was younger I was obsessed with the Salem witch trials just like learning mm. everything I could about it actually there's a book that I loved when I was younger called A Break with Charity it was so good Um, so this stuff is just fascinating to me but I also feel like our stories have parallels in that I feel as though and this is me not having any more context than what you've provided, uh, mm. not having done a fall down the hole with this. Um, but the parallel being propaganda, like it almost makes mm. me feel like 
there was some nice religious propaganda like, oh, you're scared of that stuff. Well, you don't have to be because we've got the the fear of God um, to, you know, save us and, you know, wield us from these, you know, whatever they are. And so I wonder if that was used in anything else as like a come love God. Like we swear it's mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah. I just feel like religious propaganda is so intense. <laughs> yeah. If it's not religious propaganda, it's all about the condoms. Yes. If it's not one thing, it's that. So yeah, totally. <laughs> um, I've always also been interested in the Salem witch trials. Um, I live mm. pretty close about an hour away even living in maine as i do um mm. i go there every year in september um mm-hmm. because i learned quickly don't go in october no <laughs> i mean like wrong go once in october so you yes. can say that you experienced it and then um, never do it again <laughs> and then do later september earlier november or throughout the year it's a beautiful place it will still oh. be there yeah it's like yeah you can definitely and go at any time people will be there the mm-hmm. same cast of characters wonderful people um i recently yeah. found out that i'm related to someone uh who was executed. oh really yeah elizabeth howe it's kind of like oh a, really she was like um my so i have problem with this because my family has been here since the mayflower mm-hmm. um so it's kind of like oh that sucks that my family's <laughs> been here um so i i don't have pride about it um mm. but i i have traced my genealogy uh, back pretty far and uh she would have been like a great 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 aunt oh uh, of, of mine interesting that's wild uh yeah i that stuff is so fascinating and i think it's interesting you made that parallel between like the types of people and like power to them at the time they had no connectivity in the way that we do today and if they're using witch stuff to be like, this person sucks. They have been <laughs> keeping slaves or like terrible, like they're terrible wealthy people that are not giving to the community. If that's the power they had to wield, wield against, um, I don't know, discrimination or anything. Yeah. I mean, fascinating. The psychology of the times. So uh, more importantly... What would their condoms have been like? Oh, geez. Well, that was tortoise uh, shell. You're, you're talking like puritanical <laughs> almost still. In yeah, I guess. It, oh, I mean, you're yeah. you're moving closer to the Quakers, but the Quakers are weird about sex anyways. Um, yeah, they are. I mean, let's if, go back uh, and see. Yeah, let's go back. Prior to the 1700s. Okay. But that would be like European, maybe. Um, I feel like if yeah. a woman was found, or a woman was found with a condom, or you know, like treating STIs, STDs, uh, mm. that would probably be a reason why they were labeled a witch um, mm. because they were healers. Um, yeah, usually. yeah, because you're right. This was more like European, and then there was. Um, a mention of China having condoms that mm-hmm. were tortoise shell. So I think it was more so like Eastern condoms and European condoms. I, um, so the thing that is, there are so many 
WTF moments about your story. <laughs> but the thing that I I think I will fall down a rabbit hole about is I'm going to be yeah. Googling tortoise shell condoms. Like, right. What yes. do they look like? How, did it? Yeah. How did it? Was it okay? Like for all parties? Um, animal horn? I'm just reading now. I, I, that can't I, be good, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> that can't I, <laughs> be you know, um, yeah, for anybody, yeah, like for I'm anybody. like a rhino horn, like, yeah, no right, way. one size fits all. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, and actually, to add on to this, condoms didn't really become available to like everybody until much later. Like sure. more in that, like when rubber came around because yeah, no. they were so expensive. So a lot of the people who had access to condoms were typically of like a, a wealthier class status, um, yeah. which I also thought was interesting, but it was so interesting. I mean, it makes sense because so many people that seek out sex work are often of a certain status or class or what have you. And I don't think it was any different then. So mm. it makes sense that those men at the time would have been it would have had condoms available when engaging in sex acts with sex workers right just all of it's just fascinating well the nobility would have probably had <laughs> access to them like you mentioned and yeah. used them with any sex workers or mistresses or paramours yeah. yes yeah so unlike, unlike today where the wealthy and the not wealthy share everything in like kind and quantity. Yes. yes. So uh, fair. So fair. We live in a in a just Star Trek like utopia. <laughs> One day. Only uh, One day. yeah. We can be hopeful. Mm -hmm. Um otherwise though, I, I've answered my own question. The the people in your story probably did not have condoms available. <laughs> Oh, I, I would assume not. Um, <clears throat> usually what would happen would be uh, abortion medication. Mm -hmm. It wasn't called that at the time. But yeah. uh, certain plants um, that we still mm -hmm. grow today for like ornamental or medicinal mm -hmm. or um, just because they look nice in our garden. Yeah. They would all have, they all have uses and different things and some of them. Uh, would be used to mm -hmm. help stop anything that uh, mm. they didn't want. Interesting. It's a wild world. So, Mike. Hi. <laughs> hey, my friend. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, hey. Uh, who gets the OKWTF award? Man. I think it might be you. I don't know. Um, mine has been like... It's a weird one. It's it's a. It wacky. is. It's obscure. It's a Scooby Doo mystery, um, <laughs> and I do love Scooby Doo. But I am still like my brain will not stop trying to parse what a tortoiseshell condom looks like. <laughs> it is a big OKWTF right there. <laughs> That's a big one. Uh, I mean, I'm not like can, I'm not saying like the whole toxic masculinity um, and patriarchy. 
problems uh, that still are here today. Like, the, uh, I agree with you. I don't think the war ended when the wall came down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's still a continuation. So that very much to me is an okay WTF. WTF. Like, yeah. Wow. Why? Yeah. Why? 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 The biggest question of all of them, right? Why? Yeah. A big why. And I suppose that we will be letting our listeners ponder that question. Why? Until the next episode. A month yes. from now. In a month. Uh, I do. Here's my thing. Here's my call out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my call to action, right? Uh, mm. Audience members, if you have been to a museum or you know of a museum where there is a tortoise shell or animal horn, mm-hmm. condom, um, we're going to need that to our, yes. our socials and perhaps yes. maybe we should remind people uh, where they might be able to send submissions or um, yeah. find us online. Um, I think yeah. uh, what a good place would be our website, uh, www.okwtfpodcast.com. Um, mm-hmm. We also have an email for subscription uh, for submissions, Kelsey, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Hello at wtfpodcast.com. Perfect. I mean, the one thing that I hope is yeah. museum is great. If you have a secondhand account, like a diary that your great, 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 great uncle wrote about his tortoise shell condom in China in whatever time period, uh, yeah. that would be great. Um, I don't want to say firsthand account, though. I'm curious because I'm really hoping no one's out there with a tortoise shell. Yeah. <laughs> But if you are, for some reason, I hope it's synthetic um, because that's not good. <laughs> but I right. kind of still want to know. Yeah, there um, is also that problem. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, great call to action, Mike. I love hey, that for us. Hey, thanks. It's like we're professionals or something. The other, I mean, I have to, I just have to add one other thing. If you are from Cape Ann um, yes. and you have heard of this, you need to let us know immediately. If you have a living relative that has oral history passed down generation after generation on Cape Ann, we will gladly take a trip to come and chat with you as a sub episode to this one, a response, if you will. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I guess we're going to have to target Cape Ann for listenership because that sounds fun. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Can someone get on our SEO please for that? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Mike. (laughs) Yes, Kelsey. As always, it is such a pleasure having these OKWTF moments with you. Yeah, I can't wait for the next one. Um, It's going to be good. No matter what happens, I can't wait to hear what your next one's going to be. I can't wait to see the the holes that you... mm, (laughs) Amazing. The the rabbit holes that you Yes, I love falling down a good hole. Uh, Ask my husband. He's always there watching me scrolling and he's always like, what are we getting into now? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind I'm of turning off the of internet this. now, Kelsey. <laughs> yes, yes. At the source. <laughs> we need to come up for air here. Uh, life is weird enough, but um, yeah. Thank you so much, Mike. It is such a joy. <laughs> and to everyone out there listening, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for getting weird with us. 
Submit your own OKWTF stories for us to share by visiting www.okwtfpodcast.com. And stay in touch on all the social platforms at OKWTF Podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to OKWTF on your streaming service of choice. Thank you so much to Out of Flux and Ayal Talmudi for the use of their song, Da Boom Jiggle. And thank you to Bilal Sarwar for their incredible cover art. Until next time. <laughs>